Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to The Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Boudis. On today's episode, we'll be talking about a crucial topic of how to protect yourself from cyber threats. With the increasing reliance on technology and the interconnectedness of all our lives, it's critical to safeguard our online presence and personal information. The first step to do so is to be aware of threats out there. To shed light on this subject, I'm joined by our guest, Mikhail Eitenberg. Mikhail has been working in and managing internal IT departments for 15 plus years. He's the owner of Zax Technologies, a technology service provider for businesses, which includes on-site and remote tech support, proactive monitoring, technology consulting, and outsourced IT support services. I'm thrilled to have him join us today. Mikhail, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. So before we dive into our conversation about cyber threats and security, can you briefly just introduce yourself and kind of how you got to where you are now? Yes. I got into IT when I was in college. I did a co-op at Stevens Institute of Technology. Got into it right out of there. Started at big companies, realized I didn't like working for big companies. So went smaller where I was the sole IT person, managed a small team and kind of took over a lot of the operations. And I managed IT service providers for these companies. Sometimes we got rid of them. Sometimes we kept them on as a partner. And I really realized that their goals and how their business works doesn't really align with the business and what a business needs from them. So that's where the idea came up to go at on my own and um, really align the two goals and try to do it better than it's been done. Cool. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to talking about cybersecurity. It's almost like every day we're hearing of a, something new scam or something that's that's come up and it's it's impacting a lot of people. There are people I know that have been impacted. What are some of the more common types of cyber threats that you're seeing now? So they've been similar for years. Obviously, technology advances and they advance with them, but malware is a big one. Malware stands for malicious software. So these are the viruses, worms, trojans, ransomware you get on your computer, even something like spyware where you know, your search engine on your browser changes to yahoo.com or something else, and it's annoying to get it off. There's phishing attempts, which really that's how they try to get your passwords and to send money somewhere, gift cards. Social engineering attacks go into that, especially as everyone's connected, everyone's on social. Uh, social engineering really plays a huge part as well. So I know some of them are like annoying, but some of them can really be damaging. Yes. Going back to malware, I think a lot of people are under the assumption that they're safe with their phones. Like these are things that they have to worry about on their computer. But does some of the malware or some of the viruses, do they hit phones and mobile devices as well? It's less common, but they can definitely hit phones as well. Yeah. So with everything going on, what are some of the practical steps that people can take to protect themselves? One of the things to kind of clear up here, the way to think about security, a lot of people think about it as like, what's something I put on my computer and now I'm secure? That's not how security is. Security is layers and controls that you put on one on top of each other. And the more layers you have, the better off you are. 
And the first layer is password. You should really have secure passwords for all your systems. Using two-factor authentication is a huge one. Making sure you update your software on time. Have secure networks. Have something on your computer that is an antivirus software. Back up your data. So these are a few of the many things that you could do. So I know these password managers have gotten pretty popular. Yes. Do you recommend using them or do they have their own inherent risks or problems with them as well? A hundred percent. I use it myself to my clients. I always suggest using them. Passwords, that's the first step in. If you have unsecure passwords, you are toast. You could have the most advanced antivirus on your computer, but if someone can guess your password and get into your banking account, you're toast. Can you give a quick description of how these password managers work? Yeah, so password managers, they're a piece of software on your computer, on your phone, where you can store your passwords, and as well as for your team if you're a business owner. They also create random passwords. That's their biggest advantage, is you could create a 20-character completely random password, copy and paste it into a new bank log and you're signing up for or something like that, and then that'll always save beyond all your devices. Some of them even have browser plugin where it will auto-enter the passwords. And there you can also store your security questions, MFA recovery codes. Bitwarden is a really good one. I personally use Bitwarden. One password, it's across all platforms, but it's kind of best fitted for Apple in my experience. LastPass, Dashlane, those are uh, the few that are out there. And speaking of Apple, what I'm noticing too is it looks like inherent in whether it's Safari or Chrome, do they have their own form of a password manager? Yes. And is that any different than some of these tools that are like specifically for passwords? In my experience, those are getting better, but they're not as good as the password managers. The password managers have a lot of compliance behind them. They encrypt their passwords stronger. You can go device to device, browser to browser, and it's all there. I don't think this is the case now, but browsers used to store your passwords in plain text. So it's pretty much, if someone gets on your computer, opens up that file, they see your password. Yeah, and you didn't mention this, but maybe it's kind of assumed that people should have different passwords for each of these accounts or sites or different things that they're... A hundred percent, yes. You should have different passwords for everything, and they should be random and long. At least 12 characters. More if you could do that, that makes it easy with password managers. They're actually a site that I, whenever I give this talk, that I tell people to go to, and maybe we could link to it. It's haveibeenpwned.com. So have I been pwned.com. And if you type in your personal email there, they will show you where your username and password has shown up in various hacks that have taken place over the past decades. So for me, I put it in and there's dozens from the LinkedIn hack, Chegg when I was in college. And if you look at it and think to yourself, honestly, am I using the same password that I was using for this system for my banking information, for my social media? Well, then it's very easy for someone to just go in and... Uh, yeah, that's that's probably it. The person sees, all right, there was a hack and my password may have been exposed and they think, oh, wow, this is some site that doesn't matter. Yes. But they're using that password across their banking, you know, or some, you know, other sites that do matter. And that's where, you know, the hackers get you is that they'll get the password from one place and you're using the same one across different and important, you know, places. And that's where the problems come. Yes. And funny tidbit is there was a presidential candidate in our lifetime whose Twitter got hacked, and it was because of the LinkedIn hack. <sighs> it was that easy that they found the password on LinkedIn, 
they're like, just try it. And they got in. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier about a multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication. Can you kind of explain what that is? And then, you know, how can someone go about setting that up? Yes. So two-factor authentication pretty much deals with the factors that you can authenticate. So there's various factors you can have. It's something you know. That's your password, your PIN for your ATM card, stuff like that. Something you have that could be your phone. Back in the day, I think they're still around. They had the RSA security tokens. You know, whenever you needed to get into your corporate network, you had those. Mm -hmm. Something you are, that's your biometrics, the eye scans, the fingerprint scans. Something you do, some advanced systems even will take how you press keystrokes or how you move the mouse. Somewhere you are, so it could be, hey, you can only use this application in this area. And in general, a second factor adds another layer of security on. So if someone did get your password, now they need to have your phone or whatever to do it. The most common factors, and I go with this by good, better, best, you have good where they text you a number. You know, a lot of banks do this. A lot of systems you put in your number, they text you. That's better than having nothing, but people could spoof your number. Better is to have the authenticator apps on your phone. Google Authenticator is a big one that's used, but if you go on your app store, whether Android or iPhone, and search Authenticator, you'll get one. And that's where you scan the QR code on the screen, and then every 30 or 60 seconds, a new six-digit code comes up that you have to put in. And then there's Best, which I don't suggest this for many people because it's not available on that many systems, but uh, like Bitwarden, it's available for two-factor for that password manager, is they're called YubiKeys. So they're little keys that could be USB-C or regular USB that you plug into your computer and you can only get into those systems if those things are, if you're logged in there. And the word of warning with those though, if you do set them up, make sure you have a backup one for redundancy and stuff like that. Because if, if you lose it, you're, you're out of luck. <laughs> That's like the people putting a Bitcoin on their uh, you know drive and then losing the drive. Yep, yep to- exactly. So make sure you get two and one, keep it in the safe somewhere or somewhere you know you'll be able to get in case you lose your primary one. Yeah. What about some like antivirus software? Do these operating systems come with their own antivirus software or is it still necessary to get, you know, something like a McAfee or something like that? They do. So there's actually two types of, I say it, it's endpoint protection. There's the traditional antivirus and the way that works is every program has a signature to it or a hash. And whenever something is found to be malicious, it gets added to a big database of signatures for it. And antiviruses scan all your programs, see if any of the signatures match up, and then delete them, warn you, whatever. And obviously the issue there is that it has to have been known and discovered already. The new age of this is what they call endpoint detection and response. And these programs, beyond looking for signatures, They look for characteristics of how your computer's working. So if a lot of files start getting encrypted and those like, hey, this isn't right, or you have internet messages going to a foreign nation that usually doesn't, uh, they kind of try to shut it down. So it's the next step of that. A lot of operating systems do have it. And considering that we live our life mostly online, it's less critical to have the really advanced ones. But if you are a business, if you have very important files on, it's it's good to look into those future ones. Uh, Sentinel One is one. I don't think it's available for home, but for businesses, it's a great one. Sophos 
is another leader in this game and they know they have a home kind of protection suite. I would stay away from the ones that come freely with software like the McAfee's and the Symantec. They aren't as effective and are borderline spyware, in my opinion. So it's almost like this is the new version of antivirus software. It's now how can it get ahead of the virus instead of how it used to be, where it had to know about the virus before it could provide the protection in it. Yes. Assuming it's not if you're going to get attacked, it's when and what to do when that happens. And for especially for businesses, these programs also come with a a SOC, a security operations center. So you kind of give a permission. But so if an attack is happening on the computer on your network, they will actually quarantine it and kind of make sure it comes off so they can't spread. And that's to prevent some you know, something happened to one employee and then it just wipes out the whole company. Yes, exactly. And when the IT person is on vacation or something like that, like it's very common the week between Christmas and New Year's to see an increase in attacks. Yeah. I know a popular cyber threat is phishing. And I know like phishing now is a lot different than it was five, 10 years ago. Five, 10 years ago, you'd look at it, it'd be a big, you see, you get an email, it'd be like, oh, ha, funny, big joke. Now it's hard to detect. What can someone do to better detect these things that, that are, are really phishing emails? Yes. So um, poor grammar is becoming less and less of a thing. But still, poor grammar, always be very wary of urgency and pressure tactics because that's what they uh, fish on. <laughs> for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. One easy way to say if you're getting suspicious or even if you're not, check the email address of the sender. If they say they're from this and this organization, check the email and make sure it's the right one because a lot of times the name might be right, but the actual email is different. As much as possible, avoid clicking on links from emails unless you 100% know it's happening. But if you hover over a link in most email programs, I know at least Outlook and Gmail, on the bottom left, of the screen in the bar will show up what the actual URL is. So see what that URL is and that it looks legitimate. So it like when you see it in the body of the email, it actually looks like, uh, oh, this link is maybe something that I want to click on. But then we're saying if you hover over that, you may see the, you, you should be able to see the real link, which may be different from what it looks like in the email. Correct. Be wary of attachment. And that, and I always say this, if you're not expecting an attachment from someone you know, Email them separately or text them or call them. It's like, hey, do you mean to send me this? Because a lot of times that's where you could really get malware if you open up the wrong attachment stuff. You know, it used to be like, oh, zip files, stay away from, maybe stay away from like Word or Excel, but PDFs are okay. Because is it still the same or now can they run viruses out of PDFs? They can run viruses out of everything. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would be just aware of all of them. Obviously, it's less likely out of them. Cell files, especially if they have macros and stuff, it's easy to put a, a malicious uh, payload in there. But I would try to stay away from all of them, unless you're ex- obviously if you're expecting them, the email is right. Open it, and if you're ever in doubt, it doesn't hurt to just email that person in the separate chain. Like, hey, do you mean to send me something? And no, no bank is going to require you to enter personal information over an email or a password over an email. Your boss isn't going to want to get money in gift cards. I know these things sound simple when you do it, but, you know, like I've known a very smart people who have fallen for it. Yeah. yeah. At a previous job of mine, a person who was in charge of putting out security awareness training, so the phishing training, who knew it was coming, was a technical person. He fell for one of the phishing trainings. Wow. It happens to everyone. Yeah. No one's safe from it. And especially, you know, 
you're tired, you had a long night, you're not paying attention. And lastly, also from that point, it can happen to anyone. So if it does happen, make sure to report it. A lot of people get embarrassed, don't want to report it. Make sure to report it so it doesn't happen to the next person. Yeah, makes sense. What about when conducting financial tra- transactions? I know like years ago, you know, everyone walked around with dollar bills. Now it's almost all of our financial life is online. What are some of the things people can do when like either doing financial transactions or sharing, you know, sensitive information online? Are there any things that people can do to protect themselves there? Obviously all of the above. It starts with those little things. You gotta do the little things well, make sure your passwords are well kept, stuff like that. Make sure you transmit files securely, especially if it contains social security number, banking information, stuff like that. If you have an accountant or financial manager who's not sending or a mortgage broker who's not sending files through a platform they have through a secure way you should run because you shouldn't be sending those things just in a regular attachment. One of the other things, if you're not going for credit at the point, freeze all your credit scores. If you get a credit card stolen, it's a headache. It stinks. But if you get your identity stolen, that could be years of pain and headaches. So in that case, would you just call up the three credit bureaus and say, I want to freeze my credit? And then I guess if you ever need to do something with your credit, you can go and unfreeze it, do whatever you have to do, and then go back and and freeze it. Exactly, exactly. If you Google freezing credit score, I mean, there's great instructions out there. It won't take you more than half hour. But then, yeah, make sure uh, the mortgage people and my networking groups will yell at me. So make sure you unfreeze it if you're if you're going for a mortgage or a credit card. Yeah, it's one of those things where you know you do it and it's a pain doing it. It's thirty minutes, but if something happens and you didn't do it, you know you could be looking at hours and hours of of trying to correct. Yeah. Um, any other like emerging trends or anything else going out there that people should be aware of? Yeah, now, especially in the past six months or so, as ChatGPT came out and there's a lot of AI tools are coming to the forefront, the attacks are just getting smarter. You know, AI is becoming more sophisticated in how to attack systems. And as we might use it to make some of our everyday life easier, so are the cyber criminals. So they're just getting more sophisticated. Deep fakes are another one where, especially if you have your voice or video out there, they can take it and have you say any message you want. So those kind of attacks of your boss sends you an email, hey, I'm stuck over here, send me $1,000 in gift cards. Those could get a lot more um, sophisticated. Remote work is becoming more popular. That means people are spending more time on less secure networks in their home. Those attacks are becoming more. Ransomware 2.0, that's where, you know, it used to be just you get your data encrypted and they say, pay me so we decrypt it. Most people have backups. So now they actually can also seal your data, encrypt it. You say, hey, I'm going to go from a backup. Okay, well, we're going to sell all your data out there too. And with that comes increased regulation. So I, I feel like all businesses, especially if you're dealing with people's personal information, money, stuff like that, there's going to be increased regulatory scrutiny. Yeah. And I'm, you're even hearing more and more about the, the companies banning the use of chat GPT just because they don't want any private sensitive information risk getting up there because who knows what would happen to it. Yeah. And the, the deep fake stuff is interesting too, because some of them, you won't even realize it 
you know, it, it's getting better and better to the point where it's like, at first it was like, again, like the fishing stuff, it was like, oh, that's kind of funny. But now if you're not specifically looking for it, you can be, it's it definitely easily to be, be fooled by it. For sure. And it's, the growth is only accelerating. Yeah. You no, know, AI isn't, I guess it's a field that's over a decade old, but really longer than that. But these large language models are about a decade old, but in the past year or so, it accelerates faster and faster. And every week now, it seems like they're making huge jumps in its ability and what it can do, which is really powerful when you're using it for good, but equally powerful when uh, the criminals use it. Yeah. Well, Mikhail, that sums up all the questions I had for you today. Thank you for your time and expertise. Before we close out, I know cybersecurity is just one aspect of the work you do. Obviously, very important one and critical for businesses. Um, But how best can a listener learn more about you, more about the services that you offer through Zach's Technologies? Yes. So you can go to my website, Zach's, Z-A-K-S, technologies.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. So if you want to learn more about me and my business on their site, we have a contact us form. So if you want to discuss security stuff more or some of our other services, please reach out. Great. We'll link to all the resources discussed in the show notes. Thank you again, Mikhail, and thank you everyone who tuned in today. Don't forget to follow the Agent of Wealth on the platform you listen from and leave us a review of the show. We're currently accepting new clients, and if you'd like to schedule a one-on-one consultation with our advisors, please do so at bowdisfinancial.com backslash call. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.